Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner, and of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk. We guarantee you being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io, and we'll talk about your SaaS MVP project today. Before introducing today's guest, I want to give a big thank you to Jeremy Weiss. He's the one that introduced me to our guest today, and he is also the one that inspired me to start this podcast. You can check out his podcast at inspiredinsider.com. I'm excited to speak with our guest today, Dmitry Dragalev. Uh, he has an inspiring story, being an immigrant to the U.S. from the Soviet Union. He's gone from corporate world to helping other startups to starting and selling his own startups or startup. Currently, he is working on a project called Small Biz Tools. We're going to talk to Dimitri today about how he has been able to take multiple businesses through their zero to 30K MRR journey. How are you today, Dimitri? Doing well. A little cold. It's kind of frigid outside, but other than that, doing well. <laughs> well, you sound, you look good, sounding good. Um, <laughs> So I gave a quick intro. Why don't you um, give us your version? Tell us the shortened version. We'll obviously get into your background, but just tell us a little bit who you are. Yeah, um, I, like you said, came here from Soviet Union, and I was a software geek, got into coding uh, when I was a teenager, and got my degree in computer science and went on and worked for Department of Defense and did all sorts of coding, and then one day just said, don't want to do it anymore. Sold everything I had, quit my career, and moved to Silicon Valley to try and figure out how to build startups. And I was primarily interested in building businesses that consistently give back um, SaaS businesses. They weren't called that back then, but it was some kind of recurring revenue that I was always chasing after. And I just uh, was very lucky. I met very, very awesome people that helped me and... Um, yeah, and these days I, I run a number of businesses, but I got into the PR field very early on, and so PR and SEO has been my forte. So I've uh, worked in this field since I left my software development days and been doing that ever since. And I was fortunate enough to build uh, three startups and get them acquired. The first one was I was an intern. The second one I was head of marketing, and the third one I was a founder. All of those companies were went from zero, one went from zero to five million customers, got acquired. The other one went from zero to 40 million page views, got acquired by Google. And my last one, just reach out, uh, was my own. It went from zero to 5,000 paying customers, and that was acquired by an SEO company in December 2020. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um. Okay, great. <laughs> so that's a lot of information. So let's start maybe with 
First of all, did you go to university and get a computer science degree or what was your introduction to uh, software programming? I did. I got a computer science degree from uh, University of New Hampshire and then I was planning to do a master's and uh, I just switched to do an MBA. So I, yes, and then I worked at software. So I worked in CAD industry, I worked for SolidWorks. Uh, I worked for Pro Engineer uh, for Parametric Technology Corporation, writing software for them, doing QA testing. Then I worked at BAE Systems, which is a large Department of Defense mm-hmm. contractor with a secret clearance doing Department of Defense work, all object oriented programming, super granular kind of stuff. But yeah. one day I just got out of it. <laughs> So that kind of sounds like uh, maybe you hit like a, was there a breaking point or what was, yeah. like, tell me the story about that. I want yeah. to hear the story. Well, I, uh, BAE systems, man, like there's, it's like one of the giants, like hundreds of thousands of people work at this company. And so the government witness assigned to me, they would check my code and every week I would meet with them. We would go through this code make sure that it's, you know, secure and whatnot, because Pilots would use my code to fly missions. So this was like, mm-hmm. I write code, then it goes on a aircraft, Just, and then they yeah. use my code. Kind of s- like life or death, right? Yes, yeah, so it was like super. So it was very regimented. Like I had to, you know, you can't have windows. You can't use your cell phone. It was a cool gig, but I was just a little like, just kind of burnt out looking at other people who were around me because I was like, I don't want to be like them. And there's got to be more fun to life than this because I was like, it's kind of cool to write something that is being used at side, you know, on an aircraft, you know, flying missions around the world. But at the same time, I was like, I kind of was like earning to build startups or build a company of my own. I, I wanted to do something new. And so I... Mm-hmm. I really knew that I needed to do something different, like something else wasn't fulfilled in my right. life. And so I, I like, had you completed your MBA and then you went to this? No, I, I completed my computer science degree. And then my first full-time job was this. And right before my computer science degree, I worked at uh, SolidWorks and CAD. So, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like you're sitting there in an office, you're just looking. Was it the people that were uninspiring or was it just your future? Or what was the thing that was sort of like, what was your... What was well, your, um... I um, I read this book where this guy learned to live and I can get into it more. The guy, the oh, this Overstock CEO, Patrick Byrne, he learned to live six months at a time. And so mm-hmm. because he had this condition, his health condition. And so I was thinking, you know, if I had six months to live, would I actually want to spend those six months coming to this job, writing this blocks of code, getting monitored by all these people, meeting with them and doing all this paperwork? Is this my life's calling to help these pilots run these missions, refuel in the air, drop personnel off and, you know, make sure that, you know, our country's safe and whatever it is that they do. And I was like, really questioned that. And I thought, I don't think so. Like, I'd rather be doing something else to help everyone else and also feel more excited about it. If I had six months to live, you know. And so I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to stop. And I'm going to go interview that guy. And I actually did when I moved to Silicon Valley. I called Patrick Byrne up and I had him fly out from Utah and flew out. And it was an awesome You interview. flew him out, eh? 
Wow. Yeah, uh, he flew out with Zerp Soapbox. I ran a speaker series in, in Silicon okay. Valley. So I got yeah. Tim Ferriss and I got Matt Mollenwerk from WordPress and Kevin Hartz from Eventbrite. And I was like, that's enough to be legit. And so after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to fly Patrick Byrne out, uh, the CEO of Overstock. And he actually covered the whole thing. He covered his own stay, his own trip out. And he was his mentor was Warren Buffett. And I was like, mm. wow. And so, yeah, he came out. It was like the best interview to date. And I've interviewed like, you know, the Winklevoss twins. I interviewed uh, Twitter founder and, and LinkedIn founder. And, mm-hmm. But that interview with Patrick, you know, was one of the best because it was like this thing, six months at a time. You got six months to live, you know, like say you had six months to live. What are you going to do different around your life? probably not going to be doing most of the stuff you're doing now because it's not going to matter to you. Like You're probably going to, I don't know, spend more time with your family, your kids. I don't know. You might yeah. go try new things. You're definitely uh, going <laughs> to think about it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, so that's what I did. Okay. So you left um, BEA Systems. You drove out to California, to San Fran or Bay Area, where Silicon Valley. Um, What was your idea going there? Do you have some money in your pocket and you're like, I'm going to just go and try and and kind of sort out the scene there? Or did you have a job or what was going on? Nothing. So I had my girlfriend, who's my wife, and I had my Civic and sold everything that I had, but I didn't really have much. I mean, I had an apartment and I packed the Civic up. But the idea was to get a job at a startup because I Mm -hmm. knew that startups were getting this 2006, 2007. So startups were just getting, I was reading this magazine called Web 2.0 and people were getting funding for stuff. So I was like, I got to go try that out. And so Mm. I didn't have any skills in marketing or business. All I knew is how to code. And it was also object oriented stuff, which C++, there's not web stuff. So I didn't know Mm. how to do JavaScript or any CSS. So I was like, "Mm, I wasn't the right person to, to be hired as a coder. So I arrived, I mean, we only had, I probably had like five grand in our bank account or something like that. Mm. And so we lived out of this motel and my girlfriend wanted to get a master's in trade policy. And so she picked a school out there. So I was like, "Ah, maybe I'll get an MBA from them as well. And so I walked in and I applied and I I got in um, a little bit earlier before we went out. And so when I walked into the office to get all my paperwork sorted out, they said, welcome, you know, what do you, what do you want to get accomplished in the next year? I was like, well, I kind of want to get a gig at a startup. And they're like, well, there's actually one startup that you um, should chat with because there was a, somebody who graduated from that university. So, <laughs> so I was like, all right. <laughs> and that was my, my beginning to the PR SEO startup field because I was introduced to this guy, Renal Desai, who was starting a new startup. And he was able to like take me under his wing and help out a little, you know, get me into the scene a bit because I knew absolutely nothing. This was third week in California, 2007. Yeah. In, in Silicon Valley, what was the school? It was Monterey. So um, Monterey Institute of International Studies, Middlebury mm-hmm. College, which is the known brand kind of, owns this small... Middlebury, the one in Vermont. Yeah. They yeah. own um, Monterey Institute of International Studies in Monterey. Okay. So uh, that's kind of 
funny because you get to kind of just go to the beach, uh, the school on the beach, right? So you get to this tiny school out of Vermont, you know, it goes uh -huh. another tiny school, even smaller out there. So yeah, we lived on the beach for two years. I worked at that startup and went to do my MBA. My wife did the trade policy. It was gorgeous, beautiful. I ran my first marathon out there. Um, and I learned all these things from Renal and Crossloop. And that was the first startup that got acquired two years later. And I was like, just shocked. Like the whole experience right. was insane. Cause it was 2008. Fast. Yeah. It's so fast. Two, maybe two years. So it was like two years I was there. Then I left maybe another year or something after that it got uh -huh. acquired. I left before the acquisition. I was just an intern. I worked for free for a while. And then I, I got like a 10 bucks an hour kind of salary. Okay. So uh, you had no equity or anything. You had no, you no, no, like, no, I was just an intern. Like I, yeah. I needed to be trained and I, he told me mm. what he didn't even want to hire me. He was like, I, you have no skills at all. How are you going to help me? And I was like, I <laughs> yeah. can help you. I can do whatever you want. And he goes, well, prove it to me, you know, put up a Wikipedia page about Crossloop. And I was like, what's Crossloop? They're like our company Crossloop. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you do? And he's like, it's a tech support marketplace. You find a tech guy and it helps your clear a virus off your computer. I was like, okay. Um, I'll do it. So I put it up. I thought it would be easy. And then all these editors tried to take it down. And he's like, your job depends on it. You got to keep it up for 24 hours. And so anyway, I kept it up for 24 hours and got that job. Great. And so what was the, um, the zero to 40 million page views? Tell me a little bit about that one. So that was a little later in my career. Uh, so I, I started with doing PR and SEO for startups and I mm -hmm. learned how to do it well for myself and I wanted to do it for more people. Luke Robluski, founder of Mobile First, all those books around building something mobile first, then building a website. He's the thought leader. We connected through my work at Zurb where um, if anybody knows Twitter bootstrap, I worked on that and that got acquired mm -hmm. by Twitter uh, from yeah. us. So after that, I started working with Luke on this startup. He reached out, called Polar. Were you coding again at this time? I was doing like evangelist work. So I wasn't okay. quite coding. I understood code. So I, we would create these JavaScript plugins. We'd create these CSS3 kind of uh, buttons and things like that. Mm -hmm. I kind of understood it, but I just delegated that to designers and developers and I'd work on the marketing aspect of it. So I was okay. doing a lot. So Twitter Bootstrap came out of that. Zerb Foundation came out of that work. And so I, I kind of dabbled with that a little bit. But out of that, I met Luke, Luke Robluski, the founder of Mobile First. He started a company called Polar, which was a polling app. I was the marketer. He was the founder. And we had a developer who was a co-founder and also um, a designer. And the idea that I came up with was taking these polls and marrying them with breaking news. So we had these breaking news stories constantly, Xbox versus PS4 or, you know, this versus that kind of thing. And I would create these polls and I would pitch these mm -hmm. data points to the press constantly. And we started hitting them really hard. We started getting inclusions in NPR and Mashable and, and TechCrunch and all these publications. And eventually we grew to 40 million page views. The page views every time somebody views your poll. So what these publications started doing is they started embedding these polls inside their articles. And so that would increase time on site and it would also give us a lot of views. So, and then what we started trying to experiment with is putting ads in these things or trying to figure out how to 
make money with it. And Google came after us two years later. So we closed 1.2 million from Jerry Yang from Yahoo um, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the whole thing. And literally two years later, Google swallowed up the whole company. I left. I didn't actually didn't join Google and uh, started my current, well, c my current company just reached out the SaaS, which was acquired last year. And that was 2014. So that was 2012 to 2014. This was sort of like an exodus from California years. Cause I worked on that Twitter bootstrap stuff that got acquired by Twitter. Then I left and went traveling around the world with my wife, sold everything, came back in 2012, did that startup from 2012 to 2014 that got acquired by Google. Then I started just reach out. Um, okay, great. A any, um, <laughs> I think I read that you had the opportunity to work at Google and you said like that you had zero interest. So by the way, I think that was the right call, but do you ever think about that? Like going back to Google or the, were you thinking like BEA systems in your head? Like, I don't want to be in that same position where, yeah. you know, in this room full of like developers. Having worked at Sil in Silicon Valley. So we actually worked in San Jose. That's where Twitter bootstrap, like Zerp foundation, Zerp was based out of there. Mm -hmm. And, um, we spoke a lot on Google campus and I would, I ran a speaker series. So I was friendly so with a number of people yeah. that were mm -hmm. in Google. Right. And I, I totally dug that whole Google lifestyle, right? It's like a whole lifestyle. Like you come in, all the food is there. They take care of your car, your dry cleaning, anything you really want. You can just hang out and you just kind of. It's like chilling on the sill kind of thing. Yeah. Like you're just, yeah. you're just chilling. Like you come in, do a few things. Right. <laughs> and I just felt like, again, living six months at a time. Like if I had six months to live, like I would not want to do that. Like I'd probably be doing something I'm more passionate about. I want to be building a tool or building a blog or doing something more with my life than just chilling because mm -hmm. and maybe like hanging out with your family is the way to do it and then the work thing is just but i was like i gotta spend way more time with my family and i'd be way more passionate about something and it was a hard choice i mean we were gonna have our first kid i didn't have that much money and i was just gonna be like could say no to basically <laughs> you know yeah a, a huge lot of, opportunity a huge opportunity in terms of money and the security and this was like it was tough it was 2014 and yeah i i thought i made the wrong choice for a while and talking to my wife were like struggling because we didn't have jobs or anything she was trying to find she's between jobs she was looking for this other job and we were like just living off you're savings going to, for a while. you're starting you're doing a startup i mean there's you know there's a lot of risk and there's no guarantee at all most um, of the time when you hear acquisitions and the people listening to this they're like oh this guy's just made it made it made it but not really like Rand fishkin does a lot of like actual numbers and i really appreciate transparency mm -hmm. i don't know most of the time it's not like you're just rolling in it it's if you're in startups no i remember <laughs> i had Rand on this show and he mentioned to me i think ma's He's got some equity still in that and it's doing like 150 and he's like, nobody wants to buy it, you know, because it's not growing. And I'm like, well, it sounds like pretty, sounds pretty good to me. But he's like, you know, I mean, he was very sort of uh, blasé about it. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I know what you're saying about that. <laughs> uh, you know, just because you've been acquired 
uh, doesn't mean that it's, you know. It's not. I mean, even if you're a founder, a lot of times I was very lucky with this last deal because I it was strategic buy. But a lot mm -hmm. of times when you get acquired, it's an asset buy and, you know, after mm -hmm. taxes and after if you raised any funding, then. Yeah, you're going to pay the investors back. It's yeah. not a very, very pretty number at the end. Yeah, it's, it was interesting. You mentioned the um, six months. First of all, what's that book? What is the book? I want to make sure so we I'll, mention it. Um, it's by Patrick Byrne. And I'll have to see if it's an actual book or blog post. I have the recording. So I have my recording okay. with him. So what I'll do is I'll send that to you and you can link it up but it's on Zerb, yeah, Zerb, Zerb yeah. Soapbox and if you say Zerb Soapbox Patrick Byrne that's where okay. you'll find it uh, yeah but it's become like a guiding principle for you it seems like you do you make almost every decision like or at least like you're at a crossroads and you sort of make that decision based on that that sort of philosophy I do and that's why yeah. I work 20 hours a week that's why, like, I, when I was on Indie Hackers, they put me on twice now. And uh -huh. that message really resonated with the community there because they were like, this guy works 20 hours a week. Like, he's this young guy yeah, and who he's runs in Silicon SaaS. Valley, too. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, yeah. why would he do it? And I'm like, because I have kids now and I have to hang out with them. And I feel like if I don't put in the time now, later it's not going to be the right time like when they're teenagers they don't want to be with me when they're six and four they want to hang out with me so i have to spend as much time as i can with them and mm. that's where just priority wise i should be and then in terms of like my passion projects you know i sold just reach out because i realized that a tiny bit of me it's been seven years like i'm not as passionate excited about it as mm -hmm. I should be running it. So maybe someone else would do a better job and I should be a minority stakeholder. And so I did that and I feel so much better. Now I'm running this small business blog and this is way more exciting waking up every day. Maybe it's just a switch in what you're doing, but... Um, no, I can relate to that personally. I, I've had five companies. I've sold three. I personally like what I'm doing now. I feel like I'm in a good groove, but... I totally know, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are the same. You know, we're a lot of SaaS entrepreneurs and developers that are trying to build their own products. And, you know, we're just sort of, as entrepreneurs, we get this, like, it's not shiny object syndrome, but it's just more, you, you like to be interested in there's things that need to keep you going and give you energy. Is that, Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah. Also, just health and mental and psychological and professional and personal life. So it's like like all those Balance. aspects. So I always like try and grade my life uh, according to all those aspects. Like how am I doing health-wise? Like how am I feeling every day? How is my energy? How am I feeling physically? How am I feeling emotionally overall? And just like those things together with the business life. How is my bank account doing? How is everything else in my life? Because like... You look at these one-off stories of these entrepreneurs, they're like, oh, that guy, you know, three acquisitions, oh, one for a million dollars, one, yeah, great. Like, let's look at his personal life. Uh, like, which, was this his third wife now? Like, how much time did he spend with his kids uh, that are 18 and 20? Or like, whatever, like, uh, you just judge people that, like, very fast based on their professional uh, accomplishments, but it's very mm -hmm. hard to really, like, take the full picture in. 
like I usually try and do a full rounded kind of like uh, grade for my life and try and figure out like where can I improve overall so that I'm doing well everywhere. You know, you exercise, great. You know, you're feeling healthy there. You're eating well, great. You have that side of your life doing well. All right. Bank wise, like money mice, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. You have some goals probably, right? So you, mm-hmm. I work with like a nutritionist for my health. I work for with a financial planner for my money. And I also work with a, like a personal coach to, to figure out my like fulfillment, life goals, happiness, and make sure that I'm just doing everything that I should be doing to enjoy life the most. I don't know. I feel like entrepreneurs just forget that. You just kind of like, yeah. I'll just hammer this job, this thing that I'm doing, and I'll try and get it acquired sometime. And I just, whatever, like, to hell with everything else. I just kind of get this thing done. Well, they're done. so driven. It's their project, and they're so driven in making sure that it succeeds. I mean, nobody else is going to do it, right? So I think that's what we need to remember is that balance. Are you now only doing small um small biz tools is that your only thing or what so which, i'm which? i'm a 20% i'm still a minority stakeholder in just reach out which is a pr saas that uh, mm-hmm. was acquired and so small biz tools is mainly my thing now so it's a, it's a blog that helps you find small business tools for anything you need ad tracking mm-hmm. software to hosting your blog to anything you really need crm or whatever and so what we we do is we do a deep dive into these tools we don't just do listicles we don't rate them according to NPS score or something. We really like sign up, we test these tools out, and then we show you what are the pros and cons of each one and what are the mm-hmm. best ones we think in the industry right now for you know whatever it is. And so then we rank for these keywords. So I have a whole playbook of how to rank for keywords. So I do this all the time. And so, you know, you Google sales productivity tools, our blog comes up number one. It has a list of about 30 tools there. They're the best tools to use. People check it out. They use those tools. Um, and, you know, we do affiliate sometimes with some of the brands, but it's still kind of early on. So I think we'll be offering a premium offering later with courses. Um, and so I have my okay. own course as well, PR that converts. And that okay. course is like my secondary thing where I consult people through coaching calls on how to do PR and SEO. Okay. So where's your main source of revenue coming from? Is it still coming from just reach out? Um, right now, just reach out is not the new owner is mainly handling the operations and running that I'm helping Mm -hmm. out with that. So I'm not drawing from it right now. PR that converts does most of what just reach out used to do even more for me pr that converts is a course this is your this is another oh this is a course okay it's a course that is my my own course i haven't no obviously had no non-compete or anything like that yeah it's different it's just uh my course that i was separate from just reach out and so that was just a recording of a lot of different lessons learned on how to do PR and SEO. That Mm -hmm. course I've had before just reach out. I built that before I even built the app, the tool. And so I sell that course to my blog subscribers and Mm -hmm. that draws, you know, when you launch that can draw significant amounts of money. Um, if you know, whenever I launch it, so I launch it once a quarter 
and I don't have anything else that I do besides small business tools, but small biz tools, you know, that's small right now. I bought and launched the domain three months ago. Uh, we went from 10 clicks to 400 clicks a day in these three months. And so it's a great growth. So I'm going to try and triple it again in, in the next uh, three months or so, maybe get to 1200 a month. That's the goal to try and, and these are very specific keywords like campaign management tools and we rank number one or sales productivity mm-hmm. tools. We rank number one or how to sell on Instagram DM. We rank number one because we have partners who want to partner with us. So what I do is I pick a keyword and a topic. I pick partners who say, okay, once you rank for it, we want to partner with you to do affiliate deals or something like that. So then once I rank on Google, I can engage those partners. And I already know that I'll have revenues for the blog post that I'm going to rank. Um, it sounds like your specialty is, well, you've indicated your specialty is, is PR. Is that what Just Reach Out was about? I mean, how did you come up with the idea for Just Reach Out? Yeah, so PR that converts was first. So that I, I built that course. Um, and uh-huh. before that, I had my blog. So I had my personal blog, Criminally Prolific. I've had that since 2012. And I was writing about PR and how I was doing that for that startup Polar and uh, how I was doing it Crossloop and all these other Twitter bootstrap. It's just writing these articles. And some mm-hmm. of them started ranking on Google. So I thought, oh gosh, I'll put an email subscribe form on there. I put an email subscribe form. I had 4,000 follower uh, email subscribers. Then I had 10,000. So I was like, okay, well, I got to do something. So I emailed them and I said, what would you guys want to see? And they're like, well, we kind of want to learn more about this. And it was mainly like PR or mm-hmm. SEO. And I was like, okay, I'll record four videos and I'll sell it for $19.99. So I did mm-hmm. that. I put it on Udemy. And I made a thousand dollars. I was like, oh, okay. That was kind of easy. You know, it took me about a week. So maybe I should create a bigger course. So my next course was $300, $299 a pop. And I sold maybe $4,000 worth of that with my 10,000 subscribers. And I just sent very unwell-written emails. I'm not a great, (laughs) amazing copywriter. Uh, And so this was 2000, uh, I don't know, 14 or something like that. And so Mm -hmm. I was thinking, well, I, I probably should do more of this. And so I built the course as a genesis for the app. The course was doing well so that I could fund myself to like support myself and start building the app. I was sick and tired of seeing people consume content, listen to interviews, whatever I was doing, and not actually follow through and implement stuff. Like people listen and then they just kind of fall off. I wanted to Mm -hmm. see them actually apply what I told them to do, which is pitch journalists, here's what to do, three steps or four steps. And I built the app with that in mind. But I bootstrapped it. And the way I built it was I got four or five people to commit. They gave me their first payment for when they sign up ahead of time. Like you buy an airline ticket. That's how I sell it. Yeah, pre-selling. Pre-selling it. And they're like, you buy airline tickets all the time like that. 
And so it was yeah. like 99 bucks. I got five people to do it. So I had 500 bucks. And I was like, all right, I'm, I got to build something for these people because I got their money. And so. Well, sorry, but I just, what was the idea that you're pitching? I want to know, like, what pitch were you actually selling? It's an app to help okay. you pitch journalists. Okay, so. an app. So what would it do? So it was just sort of saying step one, you got to do this. Step two, I mean, why couldn't that just be a blog post? So like if somebody would log in, put a keyword in like web development, the app would show you all the journalists who cover web ah, development. Okay. Uh, okay. And so then you'd pitch them and say, hey, I have this new app I'm building that does the X, Y, and Z. Can you please cover it? And then you click send and it goes to all these journalists and then you can follow up. And so that was the idea behind it, right? And then... I started figuring out that most people have really, really crappy ideas and what they want to pitch. So it's not really a good story. So I got to educate them on how to do it. And so that's where the, the course came in. And my first version of it was like this Twitter search, which worked worse than actual Twitter search. Cause like it would try and ping Twitter and it would wait forever to actually load the results. But you would type uh -huh. in like, web development cool apps and you'd sit there for like 30 seconds and they would find all these tweets from people that were not journalists and you uh -huh. try and pitch them and they were like random joe schmoes and uh -huh. i was like oh this sucks this really sucks i gotta get journalists out there that's faster and so i started using hashtags and i started hashtags and it was horrible. And then I, I, I hired people in Pakistan to help me with development. It was like mm -hmm. the worst idea ever because like it was like spaghetti code came back. I was unhappy. I couldn't read it. And it was like machine generate. Like it was just it was just like a mess, that first mm -hmm. version. But eventually, you know, I just kept working at it. First, then I, I started prompting people to do exercises before they started searching to figure out what they want to pitch. Then I started really targeting journalists covering a specific keyword, going to Google, going to Bing, scraping the results out or using Bing API, then looking at the results saying, all right, here are the results for uh, that keyword. Let's get the journalist's name. Let's use some extraction. I used to use Embedly a lot. Now we use DiffBot and extract the author from it. Then get the email address, get people from Philippines to change the email address on the fly as people are pitching, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I started introducing it into the app. And so the app grew and grew and grew. And now, you know, it's a website, luckily. So it's much easier to update. And so, yeah, it became. And so then we launched and... Yeah. It, this time, this is the app that you grew to 5,000 users. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And so, um, at that time, you got, you got 500 in pre sales. That was sort of enough to validate the idea. You coded it. it sounded like it was a mess. At what point did it start to get some traction? Were you using PR as one of your channels to grow it? I wrote an article on this and I'll link it up how I did this, but it was very much. Uh, like I used PR, but it was a little bit different. So we did like a launch on Reddit. We did a launch on Product Hunt. This was still mm -hmm. early, 2014, 2013. I was that that was the time when I was doing this. So it was very early on for those communities. We did newsletter sponsorships. Actually, I just did PR for them, and so they would put me in into their newsletters. 
that's how I started. And then I did a lot of cold emailing. I would cold email people that I saw on TechCrunch. I would sit there all day. I would look at everybody who was covered on TechCrunch, every startup. I'd say, hey, I saw you on TechCrunch. I think you need more PR. Here is a just reach out. This is what we do. We help you get press. You already gotten press on TechCrunch. You can get press anywhere now. Please use my app. You're going to get 10 more times press you can versus PR firms. My goal was just like to uh, kill off any PR firms that startups were using because I think Mm -hmm. it was just a waste of time and money. And so cold email, newsletters, uh, Reddit and Product Hunt were my kind of like PR launches. Then I did AppSumo, which really put me on a map and really helped accumulate lots of users all at once. That was good. What, what did you do with AppSumo? Because they have sort of different. Did you just put like a lifetime license or something like that for $90 or something? So I did something with them where it was a year. So I gave them a year for 49 bucks, and then it was $65 uh-huh. after the year, whoever signed up. And they had to use the credit card to transact. It was very untraditional for AppSumo to agree to that. And a lot mm-hmm. of users. So this is coming. early days because I noticed that you know a keg and you had a yeah. testimonial from him or something. Yeah, yeah. which is you know a huge PR in itself to get Noah. Uh, I helped him out. So we met uh, when I worked in Silicon Valley. He actually wanted me to work at AppSumo a long time ago because uh-huh. he when he was starting AppSumo, he reached out. He wanted to do a deal with us. And I was working at a design firm with those CSS three buttons and Twitter bootstrap. And we had a little mm-hmm. app called Notable that allowed you to leave feedback on your designs. And so anyway, we connected then yeah. and. Okay. <laughs> so, so was that the channel AppSumo? Was that kind of your, would you say uh, that was your big break or what was the big break that I sort of. That changed things for me for sure. I, it put me on the map. It also gave me a bunch of users that were just not a good fit. So mm-hmm. I did have to basically go through and basically quit, get them out of my system because they were just either spamming journalists, they didn't have an idea to pitch, or they were unhappy, or just not the right customers. But they put me on the map enough that after that, I got a lot of organic, good organic traffic coming to my site, uh, converting. And it was just easier to get people already heard the name somewhere. So if anybody knew that they needed PR, they're like, just reach out. I'll go check out, just reach out, because I heard about it on AppSumo. And so... It did help me. Also, my playbook of how to do SEO and PR really helped out. I started ranking for all these keywords, PR outreach and how to write a press release. Um, I started, and then that was organic traffic that was converting. Okay, so tell me about your uh, content marketing strategy then. What's sort of your playbook then? What's most, you know, is what we can do with the limited time that we have, or what's the most important things that you could tell our listeners they need to focus on? Yeah, I think it's just important to think about what are you going to rank on Google for long term and have some kind of goal. If you're just having a, like, if you have a website or you have a tool of any kind, you have to rank on Google for something to pull in organic mm-hmm. traffic. You can't just be doing ads all the time. Maybe you, if it's working for you, great. But if you put that hard-earned dollar into content, eventually it'll rank and then you don't have to put any money into it. So I always say... Think of keywords, and I have a whole tutorial on how to do keyword research, but think of long tail keywords that are very specific to what you're doing. You know, in my case, it's like 
how to write a press release email to a journalist. You know, it might only get 150 searches a month, but it, those are the ones that I want. Or alternative to Cision. Cision is the behemoth in my space. They're the biggest player. Uh, anybody who's dissatisfied with them will Google that. If they land on my page, I can intercept okay. them and literally transact them right there and then because they're dissatisfied with a competitor's okay. solution. So, so in a nutshell, you don't really care that much about the volume, but you're concerned about it's probably low competition. So let's say we're using like a tool like Ahrefs. You might use something that has a, uh, 150 searches, but with like a 10, would you say, like competition? Um, mm -hmm. Is that sort of a sweet spot? And then maybe you might find some that are 600 in this, you know, and you, I'll try and rank for that. Is that sort of a good guideline? Yes. I would say go long tail, but be very targeted. So yeah, just very specific things that people are looking for where there is a relevance gap. So a relevance gap is where you see a problem with the search results on Google. And if you went to court, you could testify. You'd have a very good argument for arguing, hey, my piece here on my blog is actually better than all of these 10 results on Google because X, Y, and Z. And if you mm -hmm. see that, then you say, all right, I got to go and get a go after this. Right. And you're just putting bets that, you know, a specific term is going to go up in volume and you're going to be the number one for it at the right time. And that's all I've been doing with just reach out since I started. I, I wrote very specific articles, how to do PR outreach on a budget or something like that, or something very specific mm -hmm. that I think everybody in my clients should Google, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. How about um, now, do you have any um, desires to start another SaaS or is the small biz tools kind of going to grow into a service-based business or what's your plans? It's growing into a SaaS business as a blog right now, okay. which is much easier than an app. I figured I found out because, you know, I have these partners who pay monthly affiliate dollars and also monthly retainers for me to write these blogs and get them ranking. And so in a nutshell, I have regularly recurring revenue, but it's a blog. So my service is creating great pieces of content and ranking them. And then whoever mm -hmm. reads them can read them and they can offer feedback. Maybe I can improve it, but I don't have to build tools. I'm not depending on use cases of these tools, there's no support. And it's becoming a much simpler SaaS business for me. And maybe I'll have premium offerings, I don't know. But for now, it's just a good, easy way to earn money where you're just creating content. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. Is that business model like a sort of a Captera? Is that sort of like the business model? Or? Similar to that, it's just more human curated and more um, like I only partner with businesses that I actually use myself and I consistently right. choose only tools that I'm like very much passionate about and use on a daily basis. And so it's, it's a little different in that way where Captera is just all over the place. With that. that makes sense. But is it really objective though, your opinion, because you're getting paid. So there's no conflict. So no what, what I try and do is the folks that are getting paid, they don't get the first rankings on my blog. So they end up um, not. Um, so I would say, like, for example, 
if a brand comes in and partners up with me, what they're paying for is for me to write the blog and rank for four or five terms. They get a sponsorship spot, like on a sidebar, or maybe they'll get um, something between the articles as like my recommendation box inside. But mm -hmm. I'm never going to put them up on the first page or number one in the list just because they're paying me money to be a sponsor. I'll give them a sponsor spot in the sidebar, in a promotional tab, you know. But I wouldn't want to uh, rank them just because they, they gave me more money or something like that. That's that's the Capterra yeah. move, I would say. Like that's right, the right, okay. G2 crowd or whatever. <laughs> right. No, I like the business model because there's no programming, right? So you're just curating content and you're growing traffic, something that you're good at. You're, I imagine you'll get into the PR stuff as well. And uh, it sounds like a great business model. I like it. Does it have a name? I mean, because it really, it's not really software as a service, right? It's, it's really sort of content as a service. I guess so. I just kind of yeah. landed on it because I sold this, uh, the SaaS business, Just Reach Out, and it was a great exit. And I, earlier on, I was like, I kind of want to run a blog that like is mm -hmm. fun to run. And I had my own blog, Criminally Prolific. I had another blog, but I was like, it's got to be in tools because tools is like the hot thing. People are looking for it. And I kept stumbling mm -hmm. across Capterra and I was like, I can't trust Capterra. They just pay, like whoever pays them more puts them up front. And I'm like, G2 crowd, people are gaming that thing all the time. They're emailing right. their subscribers, trying to get them to up, like, give them good reviews. I'm like, how the heck am I going to find a good tool? I go to all these listicle sites but you know how that works. That's through share a sale or something like that. So that's another ad network that people use to actually see who's bidding the most. And they put these like, they'll literally embed a whole listicle into their article. So when you're reading a listicle, it's just being managed by an ad network. So I'm like, I can't even trust the list, the top 30 tools of 2021 to do marketing kind of articles because those okay. are ads now too. I'm like, I'm going to create my own where I'm going to review them and I'll never change those lists uh, according to how much money people pay me. But I'll put ads on the side. I'll put like right. sponsored mentions in them to earn some money. Okay. But And so that was the beginning of the thinking behind it. Yeah, I guess. And so what I convince people to do is say, hey, just pay me to write the blog for now. I'm not going to like add you in here right. at all. Just pay me when I rank, I'll add you in there. And so people were like, okay, we trust you, you know? <laughs> so mm -hmm. I convinced enough people to, you know, make my ends meet. <laughs> okay, I like it. That's great. Dimitri, I want to thank you so much for your time. We're getting to the top of the hour, so I want to make sure you get on to your next uh, call. Sure. But thanks so much. How can people find you or reach out to you if, if they're interested in what you're doing? So just go to smallbiz.tools and you can hit the contact button there or you can go to pr.converts.com and there's a chat icon there i'm always around so pr.converts okay. or smallbiz.tools great okay thanks so much dimitri thank you thanks for having me pleasure thanks for listening to the big break software podcast with your host jordy wardman be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.